0: Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now here's Pastor Michael Cat. I've got a GPS system in my car. I, I looked around and I saw all these thousand dollar things and everything else and i wasn't going to pay the sixteen hundred dollars to get one in the car so i went on amazon and i found one it was two hundred ninety nine dollars and i said you know two hundred ninety nine dollars if i just don't get lost one time it's worth it because i have to confess so much when i get lost Uh, my attitude my thoughts the map quest Uh, other things. I can't read MapQuest. I mean, you might as well put German in front of me as to put MapQuest in front of me you know, turn right. And then they give you the wrong name of the road and everything. So I got this GPS thing and it just a little suction thing and it sticks up on my windshield and I program it and I put the address in. I have mine programmed to say, I want the fastest route, the most use of interstates and the least stops because, you know, my goal in life is to beat my time on the last trip. And I was going to, to meet uh, uh, Charles Lowry and Ken Offord. Ken's a pastor in, in down in Valdosta. I was going to meet them to play golf one morning. And so I was going to the golf course of t- of uh, the South in Tifton. So I plugged it in because I didn't know where the golf course of the South was. And so I get to the light in Sylvester and it says, turn left. And I, I'm thinking... I'm not turning left in Sylvester. Tifton's that way. I'm not going this way. Now, obviously, this GPS system knew something I didn't know. But I didn't care. I knew turn left meant a two-lane road. It meant some stop signs. It meant that I could slow down to about 30 if I got behind a tractor or an 18-wheeler or got a double yellow line. And so I just kept going. What I did is I turned my Garmin off. I got out of Sylvester City Limits. And I hit it again, and I, and I hit find on it again, and then it told me to go to Tifton. I said, see, you should have done what I wanted you to do. That's what I was, I was talking to my GPS system. And so Lola's telling me to turn in Sylvester. I don't want to turn in Sylvester because she's going to take me a back way. Now, I know up here, I know that Lola knows more than I do. I know I'm directionally dysfunctional. I know that Lola will get me to the golf course of the South. But I don't trust Lola. I trust four lanes to Tifton. I know where the highway patrolman hides. I know where the, where the little sheriff sits right in the median, right there past Tifton. I know how to slow down in those places. And then I know how to believe God for victory. So, uh, so I just took it. And I got there. And it recalculated. took me up the interstate. And I went up to exit 72. Got off and found the golf course perfectly. Now, here's the problem with my GPS system. Every now and then, I'll plug it in, and I want to go to a certain place that I already know how to get there, but I just want to see what it says. I'm going to see if I can outsmart this little 2x3 screen that's on, you know, I mean, they put men on the moon with computers that filled this room, and you got a thing this big that knows where you are. It's kind of like my mother when I was a teenager, you know, it just, she always knew where I was. And so you got this little thing and I just want to see if it's going to take me down the right road. And sometimes it takes me on detours. Here's what I think happens to us. I think God's got us on a road and God's got us on a path. And sometimes there's this little voice. I don't know if it's Lola or the devil. I don't know who it is, but there's this little voice that whispers to us, take this detour, take this shortcut, go on this path. And yet we know where we need to go and we know what our destination is, but we'll take and listen to the voice of someone or something and we'll bypass what we know to be the right thing to do and we'll take a detour. And we'll end off in a ditch somewhere because we've not followed what we know to be true. And I want to submit to you that people take detours of legalism and they take detours of license which is why Paul writes about liberty because he says there are two extremes that are wrong to you. There's license, just saying I could do whatever I want to do, and then there's that legalism problem of saying if you live by all these rules. And and so in verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free, therefore keep standing firm, And do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Now, in your notes, you've got this, I think, that Paul has defined grace all the way through the book of Galatians. Chapter 1 and 2, the historical argument. Chapters 3 and 4, the theological argument. Chapters 5 and 6, the practical argument. And as he does in every epistle that he writes, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit that makes the life that God demands possible. Now, how you view... The working of the Holy Spirit in you determines your philosophy of life. Is the Holy Spirit there as an add-on and as an aid and as a supplement? Or is the Holy Spirit there to be the power and the life inside of you? Is he something that you depend on when you get in a crutch? Or is he what? you live in and abide in in his presence in your life because if the Holy Spirit is our motivator then grace is our motivator if the flesh is our motivator then the law becomes our motivator and we start trying to please God by helping God out and so I wanted to find freedom for you tonight this is freedom to go by God's GPS system freedom is knowing that you and I are accepted by God Solely, solely on the basis of Christ's finished work on the cross. In other words, you add nothing. The Holy Spirit then fills me, that's what freedom is, the Holy Spirit then fills me to walk by faith and not by fear solely of Christ to be saved, solely by the power of Christ in us, the Holy Spirit, to live the life. And so I don't need to fear license because the Holy Spirit's going to check me at that point. And I don't need to fear the opinions of men, the law, keeping the rules and regulation because the Holy Spirit set me free from the spirit of fear. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. So when you talk about freedom, it, you've got to know something. You've got to know that I am fully accepted by God, solely on the authority of what Christ has done on the cross. I didn't do anything to get saved other than respond to God's Holy Spirit working in my life. And I don't do anything to keep my salvation other than respond to God's Holy Spirit working in my life. The Holy Spirit is the consistency of my life. Or I become inconsistent and I begin to live in fear and anxiety and worry. Wonder if I'm pleasing God. Wonder if I've done enough today. Wonder if I've prayed enough. Wonder if I've studied my Bible enough. Wonder if I've talked to enough people about Christ. And we get into the bondage and the snare of the fear of man. And, and so there i want to talk about the duty of the saved to stay free it's not just to to be free and to be set free it's to stay free and verse 1 chapter 5 verse 1 is a hinge verse it is one of the pivotal verses in all of galatians because it is a transition from what paul has been talking about with keeping the law, into how he's going to talk about how the Spirit-filled life operates in our lives, how the Holy Spirit works in us, and you can divide the verse into two parts. And really, it needs to be divided into two parts. Number one, it is a declaration of God's purpose in saving us. It is a declaration of God's purpose in saving us. That's the first part of the verse. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Paul did not write Galatians for them to get free. He wrote Galatians so that they would stay free. And so it is a declaration of Christ's purpose for us for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now, the freedom is from the law. Now, listen, not as a guide for life, but it is freedom from the law as grounds of salvation or acceptance. Nothing wrong with the law. I mean, when you're saved and filled with the Spirit, you still shouldn't lust. You still shouldn't covet. You still shouldn't envy. You should still love God with all your heart. You should still not have any idols or any false gods in your life. But the freedom is not from the law of Moses as a guide. It is freedom from the law of Moses as thinking that's a grounds for acceptance before God or that's a grounds for salvation with God. Now here's what, who Paul's writing to. These Judaizers are, who have been raised on the law are saying, you got to keep the law. you got to go back and keep all these rules and all these regulations. At the same time, here are these Gentiles who have been trying to please God. Now think about it. They have, they have come out of a pagan religion and they are trying to please God by jumping through hoops, by cutting themselves, by going through all these rituals and, and exercises that the Greek gods and the pagan gods demanded. They're going through all these things trying to say, if I do this, this makes God happy. Well, guess what? All of a sudden they respond to the grace of the gospel and their temptation is because they've lived so long in, if I do this, I make God happy. Now they're falling back into the influence of the Judaizers and saying yeah that's right if you do that you make God happy same old system just two different sources Jews or Gentiles both trying to live to please God and to find acceptance before God by keeping rules by following rituals by going through observance of special days the Roman gods demanded this the Greek gods demanded this the pagan gods demanded this and the Judaizers demanded it And Paul said, they're all wrong. God has set us free. Charles Erdman makes a great statement. He says, ritualism is really a form of heathenism. To attempt to save oneself by ceremonies is merely a form of paganism. Now, that's a rich statement. It's just a form of hedonism and paganism to say that I can save myself by rituals and by rules. And so the first part of the verse is a declaration of Christ's purpose in saving us. The second part is an appeal based on that purpose. Look at what he says. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Now, you know what that term standing firm means, but I want to come back to it, okay? It's an appeal based on that purpose. Standing firm is a military term. It implies opposition. Somebody's trying to push you off balance. Somebody's trying to knock you off guard. Somebody's trying to take you out of your position if you wanted to make it an athletic term. Somebody's trying to move in on you and take you out of your position. And you need to stand your ground. You need to stand firm. You need to be solid because somebody is trying to knock you off. Somebody's trying to push you aside. And get you off center for where God has positioned you in Christ and get you to be positioned over here somewhere else less than what Christ saved you to be. And so he talks about this yoke of slavery and there's a difference between the yokes in the scripture. First of all is the yoke that Paul is referring to as the yoke of the law upon yourself. When he talks about the yoke of slavery, he's talking about a yoke that restricts freedom. And the law is very restrictive. And the Jews would have been familiar with this because they were agricultural people. And so he says, they're trying to yoke you up to the law. They're trying to yoke you up to rules. They're trying to yoke you up to ceremonies and say, Now, if you don't do this ceremony, if you, don't do, if you don't do these rituals, if you don't observe these feasts, you're going to be in this yoke, and it's going to chafe on your neck because you're not doing what, what we say God says you're supposed to do. But that's not the yoke Paul's talking about in the yoke of slavery. Paul has another yoke in mind. And I think Paul uses this term, the yoke of slavery, Because he remembers what Jesus said about the yoke. So I want to ask you to turn to, to Matthew chapter 11. By the way, I just forgot something. So let me give it to you real quick before you turn to Matthew 11. Paul used the law in three ways. Three ways. First of all, as a schoolmaster, chapter 3 and verses 24 and chapter 4 and verse 2. As a bondwoman, chapter 4 and verse 22. And as a yoke of slavery, chapter 5 and verse 1. Paul talks about the law in three ways it's a schoolmaster, it's a bondwoman, it's slavery. Acts 15.10, Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Now, let's look at the yoke of Christ. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28. One of my favorite passages. A lot of times when I am... Uh, out preaching in a conference or something, I, if, if I'm given the opportunity and the Lord gives me the freedom, I'll always come to this uh, to this passage. A few years ago in a, in a book that uh, Jimmy Draper compiled about preaching with passion, he had about 50 Southern Baptist pastors submit sermons, and I submitted a sermon on this passage because he said, I want your favorite message that you preach. And, and this is really this because it's a reminder to me it's a reminder to me because I'm a type A, high D, high stress person. If I'm not stressed, I'll make everybody around me stressed. So, I mean, I, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just a driven person. And so I have to go back to this verse to remind me of what I'm supposed to be. Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will. Not I might, not I'll think about it, not I'll get back with you. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls For my yoke is easy. Jesus is comparing his yoke to the yoke of the Pharisees. He says, my yoke's easy and my burden is light. All right, let's look at verses two through four very quickly. Behold, I say, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. So there are three results of subjecting yourself to legalism. Number one, you're saying the atonement was inadequate. Paul says, Christ is no benefit to you. You're saying the atonement wasn't adequate. That it wasn't sufficient. That you have to add something. Circumcision, add whatever you want to want to say. Paul says, behold, the beginning of verse 2. That word behold means mark my words. Write it down. Pay attention. Behold, if you receive circumcision after you're saved, Christ is no benefit to you because you've tried to take something away to add something to your salvation and neither one's going to work. He he says he's of no benefit. Christ will be of no benefit. It nullifies grace for you to say, I've got to keep a rule, I've got to keep the law, to be saved, or as a sign that I'm saved. He's dealing with the theology of circumcision, that works are necessary for salvation, or that some external standard makes us spiritual. He said, if you receive, now that tense is passive, which means they haven't done it yet, but they're thinking about it. Paul said, Paul is saying, I cannot believe that anybody touched by the grace of God could go backwards to a to a ritual and a rite that is Old Testament and has nothing to do with the new covenant. I can't believe you'd do that. So as Paul says, you're thinking about it, stop thinking about it, don't go there. Secondly, you're obligated to keep the whole law. If you're going to do that and say, well, you know, we need to be circumcised so that we can keep the law, then you better keep the whole law, verse 3. The law is not a cafeteria line where you get to go and pick and choose what you want to keep and what you want to obey and ignore the other part. You, if you're going to pick part of the law, you've got to do it all. You've got to keep all the feasts. You've got to keep all the special days. Now, there's an indication that these Judaizers had already gotten them to keep the feasts and the special days. And the next step in drawing them away from the gospel was circumcision. And then the next step would be keeping the whole law. James two ten says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. So what Paul is saying, all right, if you're dumb enough to buy this line that you need to go out and be circumcised, first of all, the atonement is not sufficient for you because you think that you can help God out in salvation, which you should question whether you're even saved or not. Secondly, now that you're thinking about do this, if you do it, you better keep all the law or you're not going to be saved. I mean, Paul's just throwing it at them. I mean, this is a machine gun fire that he has given them right now. And then the third one, he says, you've fallen from grace. Now, this is where we're going to finish tonight, verse 4. This is the only place, and how many of you have ever heard the term? I've heard somebody, they've fallen from grace. How many of you ever heard that term? Okay, first thing you need to note. The law of first occurrence is a rule of biblical interpretation. In other words, when a term first appears... You need to see what the context of that term is and why it's there and what it means in that context. This is the first occurrence of the phrase fallen from grace. It is never used any other time in Scripture. This is the only time this term is used, and some people have made this term a denomination and a major theological position, and it's because they have misinterpreted the term. It has nothing to do. Let me repeat. Paul, in this context, this has nothing to do with an Arminian doctrine that you can lose your salvation. If it did, then you've got to go. If if falling from grace here means you can lose your salvation, then you've got to go back to chapter 4 and cut out the word adoption because Paul has now contradicted himself. And the Bible never contradicts itself. Remember what we talked about with adoption. You cannot be adopted and unadopted. Once you're adopted, you have legal rights as an adopted child that can never be changed. It is signed, sealed, and delivered for all time that you're adopted. Now, if you can lose that adoption, why would Paul come down and say fallen from grace means you can lose that adoption? He didn't, and he doesn't. In fact, nine times in this book, he talks about them as brethren. He's dealing with the church. Here's what he's saying. To fall from grace is to fall into legalism. To fall from grace is not to lose your salvation. To fall from grace is to fall into legalism or to fall into another idea of how salvation comes about. Look at the context. He's talking about adding the law, adding circumcision. Now, here's an important statement I want you to write down. The Bible never says anything about a believer being unjustified. The Bible talks about people being carnal. The Bible talks about people being disobedient. But not one time in the Bible does it ever say that anybody that is justified becomes unjustified. That is important for us to understand because when you've got Christ and the Holy Spirit is in you and Christ dwells in you and the Father has put your name in the book of life, that cannot be removed. He does not write names in the book of life with a pencil with a big eraser by the side of it. He writes your name in blood. And so Paul is saying you've fallen into legalism. The the word fallen means to lose your grasp or your grip on something. They've lost their grip, their grasp on the truth about grace. There's two statements here. First of all, if you try to mix law and grace, you fall from grace as a principle. If you try to mix law and grace, if you try to say, I'm saved by grace, but I'm kept by works. I'm saved by grace, but I'm going to help God out. You mix law and grace You lose grace as a principle of operating your life, and you begin to operate your life by rules and regulations, and you can never live up to those rules. Secondly, this is a longer one. Because you lose your grasp of grace regarding sanctification does not mean that you lose your grasp of grace regarding justification. Now, that's a big statement, but it just simply means just because you lose your grasp somewhere along the way and say, you know, maybe I just need to help God out doesn't mean God says that's it. You're not saved. No, doesn't change your justification. But don't lose your grasp on sanctification happens the same way that salvation happens. It's by grace through faith. It's by obeying God. It's by walking in the law of love. John MacArthur says this, "...if justifying grace were forfeited every time sanctifying grace was interrupted or neglected, justifying grace would be worth nothing. Retaining salvation would then be a matter of works." Two more verses, two more minutes, and we're through. Galatians 5.5, "...for we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness." For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. In other words, it doesn't matter where somebody is or not. It doesn't have anything to do with Christ. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Now, I want you to look. In these two verses, verses 5 and 6, you find what Paul says are the key words of the Christian life. Faith and hope and love. In verses 5 and 6, he doesn't say that the key to your life is law. He says the key to your life is faith, the hope of righteousness, and the law of love. So what's God looking for? God's looking for faith working through love. What does God want me to do this week? What's God got in mind for me this week? I'll tell you what God wants you to do this week. God wants your life to be faith working through love. He wants you to have faith in him and work through love. To obey the great commandment, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I had somebody come to me tonight who we helped years ago. When they didn't have some resources to do some things. And they said, We just want to give you something and say thanks. And they handed me a check and said, Here's something that we want to go back into church because we didn't have when we didn't have anything, this church helped us. And God has prompted us that we need to now come back and say thanks. You know what that was? That was faith working through love. I say, you know, I remember what somebody did. I remember what somebody else may need for them one day. So I'm going to make an investment. I'm going to do something. One last statement, then we're through. You ought to write it down. Faith alone justifies. But the faith that justifies is not alone. Faith alone justifies. But the faith that justifies is not alone. It works itself out in love. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Gatt. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening